Well, one of the most consistent themes that um, you see when you go to a, a movie or read books these days, uh, and really for a long time, is this idea of a hero sacrificing their life for the greater good, whether that's for a friend or for a nation, a country, or for the world. Um, I googled uh, this past week, movie heroes that gave their life for friends, and multiple lists came up. Um, with just kind of bizarre and crazy numbers sometimes. Like there was a list that said 43 heroic sacrifices in movies. Why 43? I don't know. But a lot of them, uh, you know, you can probably think of a lot of different movies that come to mind for you. Um, maybe one that we are all familiar with. Uh, if we think about the, the Chronicles of Narnia movies, um, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you remember the scene where Aslan gives his life for the freedom of Edmund, right? To free him from the white witch. And we see why this is a common theme, mainly because it inspires us, right? The watcher, the reader, to be um, a better version of ourselves, like the person that we wanna be. We walk out of those movies with this increased desire to have that kind of courage and that kind of love for the people that matter the most to us. It resonates with something deep inside of all of us, right? That longs to be heroic, that longs to be self-sacrificial. It's like, man, I, that's who I want to be, right? And it's no secret that the inspiration for all of the heroism that we see um, in these things is rooted in the life and the story of Jesus. All those people are a type of Jesus, right? The the innocent man, the only innocent man that gave his life for the guilty, all of us of the world, okay? So today's verses are going to tell us a little bit more about the kind of love that compelled Jesus to act on our behalf and then some demands that he has for his followers. So I want you to open back up to John 15 again as we continue that series here. It's page 1537, John 15. We're going to read verses 12 to 14 today. Verse 12 says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. So, remember back in our last sermon series... It, that was centered around this verse that was in John 14, a chapter before this, John 14, verse 15, that said, um, if you love me, keep my commands. And we talked about during that series, um, our relationship with God and, and what he demands from the very first day um, of creation, when he created the first humans, um, it, it, God made it really clear that as the creator, that he was in charge and that he was giving orders to us, right? He's giving the orders and we, his creation, were expected to obey him. God doesn't give suggestions, right? He didn't, didn't give Moses the 10 suggestions. 
right? He gave him the Ten Commands, okay? So that's, that's who God is and what he does. And Jesus, when he came, he modeled this posture of obedience for, for us. He submitted himself as a son to a father's authority, eventually obeying to the point of death on the cross. And as we started this series in John 15 about remaining in the vine, connected to and dependent on the Father's provision for our livelihood, bring, Jesus brings up this issue of obedience once again. So in verse 10 that we looked at two weeks ago, Jesus tells his disciples this. You can look back at it there. In verse 10, he said, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. What it means to be connected to God is to obey. Remaining and obedience are joined at the hip. They act as signs that we're truly in a relationship with God. And producing spiritual fruit is the natural outpouring of an obedient relationship with him. All right, so we've talked about that, that being a marker. If you want to know if somebody's really following Jesus, you just need to ask or look for evidence or sign. Is there a desire in their heart to obey him? If, if you have a rebellious spirit towards God, it's probably a sign that you're not in relationship with him. You're not remaining in him. Our desire, even though we don't always get it right, our desire should be to obey and to please him. So it shouldn't come as a surprise today as we look at verse 12 that Jesus is giving his disciples a command. And it's actually the exact same command that he gave them two chapters earlier in John chapter 13, right after he washes their feet. In John 13, 34, he said this, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Jesus says almost the exact same thing today in verse 12. He's kind of like a coach. Um, you know, maybe you had one of those coaches, hopefully it wasn't me, um, who kind of repeats the same thing all the time. <laughs> to kind of drill it into your head of like, hey, this is who we are as a team. This is how we play. This is how we act and carry ourselves, the kind of culture that we have. And Jesus with his disciples is like pounding this message in, love one another, love one another, love one another, okay? And I think it's important that we acknowledge a couple things, okay? One is that Jesus is not just this moral philosopher, who says a lot of kind of interesting things that we're supposed to kind of debate and consider. He's not even just simply a role model that we're supposed to imitate his actions. He declares himself as the one and only Savior and Lord of all of mankind who expects obedience from his followers. So don't pretend that he's something less than that like most of the world does, okay? And the great thing about our Lord, the King of Kings, is that the commands that he has for us are for our good, right? In verse 11 that we looked at again a couple weeks ago, he's telling us these things, he says, so that his joy might be in us and so that our joy might be complete. His commands and our obedience are for our flourishing, that's a pretty good deal. 
So before we dive into this command in verse 12, I think it's probably a good idea for us this morning to kind of assess our hearts. Is our knee bent to the king? Is our heart's posture communicating a yielding, a surrendering to his authority, to his will for our life? Is that our heart's desire today? Because he's about ready to give us some hard commands. And when we hear something from a leader that's kind of hard to hear, it's really important that, that we first and foremost kind of acknowledge their position and authority. That this person has the right, because of his position and our position, to ask things of us. Okay? So we're acknowledging his position and authority. And then secondly, we need to trust that his intentions and motives for this command are good. He's got good things for us in this. Jesus says, my command is this. And I can see the disciples grabbing their iPhones, right? Popping their notes app open. Like, all right, man, he's going to talk. He's getting ready. My command is what? Let's go. What do you got for us, Jesus? And Jesus says, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Love each other. I mean, of all the things that a king could ask of his subjects... That seems pretty tame in the grand scheme of things. Who is he speaking to again? In John 15, as he's delivering this message, who is his audience? Raise your hands, just like a school. Who's he talking to? His disciples. How many? Eleven. Good, right? Judas already scattered, right? So now we're down to eleven. Okay, so he is giving this message, love one another to the 11 disciples that are remaining. Okay? So when he says these things, he's telling them that, hey, guys, listen, I want you to start with this inner circle. The 11 guys sitting around me right now, love them. And that was really no small thing because these guys came from very different backgrounds. They had a lot of different opinions about the world and kind of how they saw what was going on with the Romans, you know, occupying Israel and that they were subservient to them. They had a lot of opinions about what Jesus should be doing, how he should be handling the fact that they were an occupied people. There were people on his team that had once served the Romans as tax collectors. And so throughout the Gospels, you see these guys kind of bickering and arguing with one another. You see them kind of elbowing one another to see who can be seen as the greatest, right? The most superior of all the disciples. If you guys have seen The Chosen, how many people have seen a, some remnant of that? Season one, season two, okay, if you haven't, it's amazing. But man, you, you see that played out in The Chosen, right? The, the conflict and turmoil between the disciples, and so Jesus says, guys, I'm going to start really tight here. <laughs> you 11 love each other. So for us then, love each other starts with our families. Mom, dad, 
husband, wife, son, daughter, brother, sister. It starts in our home. And then hopefully it bleeds out into our friendships, maybe a small group or a youth group or community that you're involved in, our church body, right? Love the people in Wellspring, the people that have chosen to call this place home, start there. And then love the greater body of believers in St. Joseph, in Kansas City, in the United States, in the world. And then the outside world, the people that, that aren't following God as well. It seems simple enough, but I guess that depends on how you define love, right? Because Jesus adds some context. He says, love each other as I have loved you. Ah, that's a, that's a different standard, isn't it? Well, how had Jesus loved the disciples? If you think back through the stories of the Gospels, how had Jesus loved them? So how are they hearing this when he says, love each other as I've loved you? What do you think they're thinking of? What memories do they have? Did you have your hand up? Or? <laughs> He loved them unconditionally, okay? Even when they got it wrong sometimes, right? How else did he love them? Do what now? Okay, yeah. Great, good. What else? Yeah. Okay, yeah, he had just washed their feet, so he, he showed, hey, I'm not, I'm not above you, right? That I can't do the most meaning Menial task, that's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. What else? How would he love them? Yeah. With patience. Yeah, for sure. Yes. He did live life with them? Okay. As opposed to what? Yeah. Yeah, he didn't like live in the palace over here, right, and come visit them from time to time. He bunked out with them, right? He, he lived at the same level, same tent, same meals, right? Same conditions. I think one of the ways that he loved them that really resonates with me is that he saw a future for them that they couldn't see for themselves, right? He loved them because he chose them Many of them, you know, not the best and the brightest of Israel. And he said, I believe in you guys and what you're going to do through me that's going to change this world. Man, that's love, right? When somebody believes in you like that. And there's, we can go on and on. So when the disciples are hearing this, love each other as I've loved you, they've got this list of like, how has Jesus loved me? And I think it's important for us to remember those things as well, right? To count the ways in which he's loved me, to make sure that I'm then loving others <laughs> the way Christ has me. And in that case, I think sometimes when we think about that, it can seem a little bit daunting because we're comparing ourselves to a sinless, perfect example of love. And I think it's important for us to grasp that this is more of a practical command than an emotional one. 
And this is what I mean by that. He's not asking us to feel the same way for other people as he does. But he's asking for us to love them regardless of how we feel in, in very practical ways. And as we mentioned, we have to remember how that night began, okay? He's talking in John 15, 15 but way back in John 13 and the, kind of the beginning of the evening, he did. He went around and washed all of their feet. That's kind of how he started this long discourse on the last night that he was with them. And he went and he, and he washed the feet of Judas, his betrayer. And he washed the feet of Peter, who ran his mouth a lot, but didn't follow through on some of his promises. And he washed the feet of Matthew, who had been this tax collector, who'd been collaborating with the Romans and making money off of other Jews. And despite all the variables swirling around in that moment of all their kind of past histories and failures, Jesus watched each of their, each of their feet with equal vigor and care and tenderness. Right to the point of when he says, one of you is going to betray me a little bit later on, they're all looking around saying, which one of us? Like they couldn't tell by the way that he had loved them. He loved them equally. And you know what I was thinking at this point in my studies as I was taking notes and kind of pondering this? When it comes to loving people that we maybe just don't have much of an emotional connection with, maybe even someone who has hurt us before or maybe somebody that we've hurt in the past, I find that affection usually grows as I practically love them. Why is that? Because action, engaging, requires vulnerability. And vulnerability kind of opens our hearts as we give and receive with one another. Because there's different ways I can go about kind of navigating life with somebody who maybe, you know, either I've had some weird situations with or that just whatever reason they don't like me, we don't connect or whatever. Like there might be people at Wellspring that you've never talked to. And especially if you've got some weirdness between you, you could kind of just keep showing up week after week, but never really engage with one another. But when Jesus says, I want you to love one another as I've loved you, and he says, I want it to start right here. And then all of a sudden I'm interacting and engaging with someone who maybe in the past I've just kind of ignored or tolerated or whatever. All of a sudden there's this giving and receiving that happens and it's really vulnerable because I'm not really sure how they're going to respond to me or how I'm going to respond based on their response. And things get different. So I want to ask you a question. I'm going to put it up here. Do you have an example of how that's played out in your life? Where you've practically loved someone and has seen your love for them grow as a result. Maybe somebody that you didn't connect with or have much emotion for or maybe kind of had some rough patches with in the past. Yeah. Yeah, my kids when they were babies, they just screamed and cried. And <laughs> didn't like them very much, but the more you serve them and the more you, you know. Yeah, yeah, good. Good job, Steve. Way to hang in there. 
<laughs> yeah, Devin. Well, hey, hey, you didn't, that didn't get approved before the service. What are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's a great example. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and family can be interesting because there's seasons of life maybe where you haven't been that connected with a cousin, aunt, uncle, or whatever, but then all of a sudden a season of life comes along and all of a sudden now you're, you're in real, you know, close relationship to them and maybe it feels a little bit more comfortable because they're family, but it's still awkward, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, he's talking about being a teacher and having students that maybe weren't super, you know, easy to love at the beginning of the year, but you just daily kind of hang in there with them and continue to, to love them and you see your affection for them change over time, right? And I think a big part of this um, that I, man, I try to preach it with people a lot is just um, a lot of times it's because we really get to know their story, right? Because a lot of times what keeps us from loving people well is that we've made a lot of assumptions about who they are and their intentions and their motives. Again, we're kind of getting back to this whole idea of trust and motives, right? That when we hang in there and we, we began to really engage and we serve, we start, to, we start to see their vulnerabilities and our own as well. And we begin to get a softer heart towards people when we really get to know who they are and why maybe they were acting the way they were. <laughs> that there's some things that have gone on in their life that maybe makes them a little edgier at times, okay? Jesus wants us to get very practical in our love for fellow believers because it communicates a lot about really where our faith is at with him. We find out a lot when, when our love gets practical and not just in theory. Look at what John writes in 1 John 4, 20 and 21. It says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister, and he's meaning a brother or sister in Christ, okay, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. There's not a lot of wiggle room there, is there? Jesus doesn't put any qualifiers on our brother and sister. You know, love the brothers and sisters that are doing things right and that agree with your opinion and get along with you or vote the same way you do or live in the same community or have the same color skin or same socioeconomic group or anything. Fill in any qualifier you'd love to put in there. <laughs> doesn't mention any of those things. And Jesus expands on his vision of love. If we get back to John 15, 13, 
He says, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And that first word of that sentence is so important. Greater love. Jesus is insinuating that loving like him will require a greater love than the earthly love that we see in our world that's so often based on just emotions and feelings. He's saying it's gonna be, it's gonna be a greater love. We play a lot of Chris Renzema songs here, and he's got a, a song called Stronger Love. Like, I need a stronger love right now, a stronger love than what I have in my own strength. We hear phrases in our culture like, it was love at first sight. <laughs> and I'm thinking, eh, maybe it was attraction at first sight or infatuation at first sight or lust at first sight. I really doubt it was love at first sight. Or the ever-popular, we fell in love, followed closely by, well, we just fell out of love. Thank God that he doesn't love us like that, right? He would probably fall out of love with me multiple times a day if it was based on my performance. I know this greater love is something that we can only learn from God. It's the kind of love that lays its life down for another. And if you're like me, I'm thinking, man, my love, my love can be really fickle. And a lot of times it can be really dependent on how easy the other person is, my partiality to the people who really kind of treat me well. How can I possibly live up to this standard? Well, I think it's real important as we read one verse, sometimes that we need to pull the lens back and remember the whole context of what we're reading and, and this teaching in John 15. What's this whole passage about? Remember, it's all in the context of remaining in the vine, right? That's the, that's the imagery that he started with here. So when we read something in verse 13, we've got to come back. Okay, what's the big picture imagery and he's saying that if we remain in him, his life and his love, as if this is Jesus, the vine, and we're the branches, his life and his love flow straight from him into us if we're connected. And the fruit of that connection is first and foremost his love flowing through us and then out of us. The overflow of that connection and relationship is love. I don't have to conjure up warm feelings for everybody. I just have to remain connected to Jesus, and he provides what I need to love other people well. That feels like a lot less pressure, doesn't it? Instead of thinking about, man, how am I going to love this person over here that just drives me insane or is just so rude or whatever, instead think, I need to stay connected to Jesus. <laughs> He's going to flow into me, and then I'm going to have the love to give out. Because for one, when I'm in a relationship and connection with him, he's going to remind me how he loves me. And that's going to help me have a better perspective on this other person. How did Jesus love so self-sacrificially? Well, he loved us because God is love. 
and Jesus was indwelt by the Father. So if Jesus and the Father are one, and Jesus said that on several occasions, I and the Father are one, then everything that is true about God is also true about Jesus. So if God is love, then Jesus is love, right? You mathematicians, there's like, if this is, you know, if A is equal to C, B, then, you know, whatever. Yeah, didn't do well in math, but that's the idea here. And as Jesus yielded his will to the Father, the natural result of that yielding and that surrendering was that love flowed out of him. So how can we love self-sacrificially with a greater love? Because through Jesus' resurrection and his promise that then those that receive that and, and believe that and acknowledge that, that we're going to be indwelt with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit now is in us, making his home in us. God is love, and he's in you and me. And a lot like the joy we talked about a couple weeks ago, joy and love aren't something that we have to go find. They aren't things that we have to kind of conjure up in us. <laughs> oh, man, I just, I really, I've got to be joyful today. Or, oh, man, I'm, oh, i got to squeeze really hard, right, to be loving. Like, if you think about a tree, right, a fruit tree, it's like they're not like going like, oh, get this apple out of me. <laughs> right? Fruit trees produce fruit. They don't strain. <laughs> they don't moan and groan to get the fruit out. It just happens because of the life-giving trunk root system that then gives them, you know, and God mixes it all together and there it is. It just happens. And so what we've got to figure out is how do I get the joy and the love out of me? It's in there. Perfect love is in me because Christ is in me. I've got to figure out what's, what's getting in the way of that getting out, right? We talked about that a couple weeks ago. For me, most often, it's my pride, especially when it comes to love. He gives us a command. This is the awesome thing about God. He gives us a command, love each other, but then he also gives us the resource to pull it off. He says, I'm going to send you my spirit. And that's going to be the power that you need to love people the way I want you to love them. He doesn't leave us hanging, <laughs> say, good luck with that. He's like, no, I'm going to give you the power to do that. My spirit living in you. I don't know about you guys, but I was loved into the kingdom of God. I had a coach in my life that was obedient to Christ. My high school cross-country coach, when I came through his doors as a freshman, man, he was patient and kind with me because I was a fool and I was selfish and I was prideful and he saw a brighter future for me. And he, he saw who I could become because of, he could see that I was a leader and that I had some redeeming qualities. But at some point, that love had to get practical. And what it meant for him a lot of times was that, and he was a teacher, right, out of his own pocket. He was paying to put me in places where I could encounter Christ. 
And a lot of times that meant taking me to concerts or helping me get signed up for a Christian camp before I knew anything about Jesus. And not only getting me signed up, and, but like helping to pay for it, putting me in his car, driving me hours away to take me there to ensure that I was getting exposed to this Christ that he loved. Love has to get practical. I want you to turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. It's page 1740. 1 John 3. Verse 16. It says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. How are we practically laying down our life for others? Not literally dying for them. Chances are you and I are probably not going to get the opportunity to do that, hopefully, in our life. But laying down our time, our energy, our resources, especially in our current economy where money's kind of tight, has your generosity shrunk? as some of your resources have maybe? Our control, our agenda, are we laying down our anger, our resentment, so that the people that we're in contact with might fall in love with Jesus and might praise him because of our love toward them? And some of us might say, but people are hard to love. That's true. But you know what else is true? You're one of those people. We all are. Every one of us is hard to love. I was hard to love, but I was loved to Christ. That's why Paul wrote this in Philippians 2. In humility, consider others better than yourself. Not equal to. Not some people. Consider others, everyone, better than you. It's not as hard to love people who are better than you. Right? If you think of somebody that you would think is better than you, aren't you usually pretty happy to love those people? Better people seem pretty deserving of our love, right? It's when we think we're better than that we get kind of choosy about whether they're really worth our time, effort, resources, whatever. I found this quote to be really helpful. It's not only our gratitude for his saving work that ought to drive us to love others, but it's the fact that he made us to love others. It's who we are. As followers of Christ, it's who we are. God is love, and he's in us. 
So we're lovers. Whether we want to be or not, that's who we are in Christ. Why is he telling us all this stuff again? To remain, to stay connected, to obey, to love. Remember verse 11. I am telling you all of this so that my joy might be in you and your joy might be complete. It's for our joy. And when I love people well, in practical ways, especially people that are kind of been difficult or, you know, or just hard for me to connect with, for whatever stupid reason I might come up with, you know, right? When I do it well, I feel joy. Because I know that the only reason I'm able to do that is a greater love in me is, is flowing out of me that I can't take credit for. God's working in me. And I love how that feels. And it whets my appetite to stay connected, to remain, because <laughs> I want that feeling again. I want the feeling of being vulnerable and opening my heart to somebody that's maybe been a little bit difficult and seeing God work and move and break down walls and do something in both of our hearts as I try to love them like Jesus has loved me. And as we come to the communion table today, we're reminded as we take part of the, of the broken bread and the poured out blood that we need help to love like this. Like, God, the only way that I can love like you've loved me is if you help me. I need a greater love than I have. So would you give it to me? So I'm going to give you some time of silence today to just do business with God about however he's spoken to you this morning. And then our ushers will dismiss you to come up and take communion. Uh, the servers will have bread. You can tear off a piece, dip it in the cup. We also have gluten-free here in cups uh, on the sides as well. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time. God, thank you for your example. And thank you just as you, as you spoke to the disciples. Um, you, you, you boiled it down really really tight and small for them and just said, hey, guys, just start with just loving each other. Don't worry about going out and saving the whole world. Can you love the people that are just in the room with you right here? That's challenging enough sometimes. And God, we see how flawed our love is, how partial it is, how many uh, boundaries and lines we put around it. <laughs> But God, we have to remember that you're in us. And so we, we can't think, what am I capable of? We have to think about, what is God capable of through me? And that's all things. All things are possible with Christ. Apart from him, you can do nothing. So help us to remain in you, God, so that we can love better. So that the world will, will benefit from the love that we share with them. And it will draw them to Christ. And they will praise you. So speak to us as we give you some time here.
Go ahead and stand with us. of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing, oh praise Him, hallelujah, thou burning sun with golden softer gleam oh praise him oh praise him alleluia 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 and thou wind that art so strong, ye clouds that sail in heaven alone, oh, praise Him, alleluia, thou rising moon in praise rejoice, ye lights of evening find a
Sing that again, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, Hey, I just want to thank you guys. Uh, we, we mentioned last week um, the need for more meal train people, and you guys just did an awesome job at signing up for all that. I think we've got the interns covered for like the whole summer. Like, way to go, <laughs> really. Um, on your way out, if you could grab uh, an intern, if you'd be willing to kind of sponsor them for the summer, that'd be great. And we'll start the intro class here in about five to ten minutes. So go grab your kids, take them to uh, the upper floor, and you guys can head down to the basement. Thank you, guys. Thank <laughs> you.